there, and welcome back to another episode of the Better You Podcast. I am your host, Casey Main, and I want to thank you so much for being here. If you've been following along for a little bit, then thank you so much. I really appreciate the support. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. Um, kind of our, our goal and our focus with this podcast is to better understand our relationship with ourselves. I very much believe and really have kind of learned firsthand that that is the most important relationship we will ever work on as it really does set the tone for every other relationship in our lives as well as our life in general. So we talk to a variety of people and look at a lot of different topics, all that tie back to some aspect of our relationship with ourself. And this week's episode is no exception. This week we are talking to Amber Smith. Amber is an entrepreneur, mother, and an online coach for life coaches. And these days you see life coaching everywhere, especially all over social media. And to be honest, I've always been a little bit skeptical of the concept, which wasn't really a fair mindset considering I had never even spoken to a life coach or anyone who has ever even had life coaching. So I really wanted to challenge myself to keep an open mind and I'm very happy that I did. I love Amber's story because her her plan, her original life plan, uh, was to be a psychologist. But then after starting her family, she fell in love with what she believes is one of the biggest blessings of our generation, and I would agree, and that's online business. So she launched a life coaching business, but quickly found herself mostly coaching other life coaches. And so that soon became her focus. And I really enjoyed this conversation because Amber is very honest and very insightful about life coaching in general, but also about her own experiences that led her into this field. We talk about how there's no point in comparing our suffering, which we all tend to do. Our feelings are are justified, they're ours, and they're valid, and they deserve attention. We talk a lot about codependency and learning how to be empathetic without completely taking on other people's emotions and difficulties. And I kind of realize in this conversation what a history of codependency I have in my own relationships. Amber is very honest in sharing her experience with postpartum depression and how the shift of identity that motherhood brought was a really difficult transition for her. And we talk a lot about life coaching, what it is, how it differs from therapy, and how to approach it if it's something that you're interested in trying out. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Amber. And if you do, please do me a solid by rating the podcast, writing a short review, or sharing it with a couple friends that will help tremendously. So without further ado, here's Amber. Yeah, so I studied psychology in college, which really got me on the journey that I'm on now. Um, I originally thought I was going to be a therapist, um, decided to start my family, drop the therapist idea. And in that time, I found life coaching. And I think we'll probably talk about kind of how I found it based on some personal struggles and um kind of dove into life coaching, loved it, loved the ideas. It was everything I had studied in a really tangible, like application type way. And I loved that. No more theories and stuff. I studied a lot of theories in college. And so now I have two kids. Um, I'm a coach for other coaches and I started to be a life coach myself and found in my business growing that I started attracting other life coaches and helping them with their business. And that's currently what I do. Okay. So, so yeah, we're going to dive all yes. into your story. Um, <laughs> and I love that you studied psychology. We're a little bit uh, kindred spirits in that. I did as well. And cool. um, with the plan to become a psychologist and then, you know, life happens and you just kind of end up in, in other directions. So that's cool that you found something that's still very similar yeah. uh, to being a therapist, um, but likely with a slightly more flexible schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, cool. So let's just go ahead and jump right into the good stuff. Um, I typically start by asking people to take us to um, the time in your life. And maybe it was your, you know, quote unquote, rock bottom, or maybe it was just a time where you felt like you were really off track from who you really were, just like really kind of disconnected or just off. Like, what was that time for you? And then we'll just go from there. Yeah, cutting right to it. I like oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so while I was in college, um, I had my first, I would say, like bout of like true depression, I would say. 
I was working at a residential treatment center um, for girls with, you know, extreme anxiety and suicide ideation and things like that. And I have, I can tell you so much about my journey, but like one of the things that I really struggled with was codependency and being like an, what people would call an empath. So obviously I was drawn to psychology for a reason, right? I loved helping people. That was what I wanted to do, but I absorbed a lot working there. Um, it was an amazing life-changing experience, but like we had a lot of stuff to work through and I found myself kind of bringing it home to my husband and like, I couldn't shake off the feelings there, you know, like a lot of those girls really struggled and we actually had a girl commit suicide while I was working there. And so, yeah. And that wasn't really like the cause I would say it was mostly like my codependency. Like I didn't know how to turn it off and like help them without taking it on myself. And so I started going to therapy then. And it was like one of those moments, I wouldn't call it like absolute rock bottom. Like I wasn't in an awful struggle, but I was suffering. And it was the first time in my life that I actually felt like I needed help. And so I would say that was where um, I started taking what I've learned like conceptually and started going, okay, like how does this help me in my own life? <laughs> and so yeah. that was like the first round. And then another time I would say was after I had my first baby and we've talked about this. Um, I probably had some postpartum depression stuff about three months after my firstborn was born. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I definitely want to get into that. Cause I just think that is such an important topic. And if anything, maybe the more we talk about it, the more women who are experiencing or have experienced or will experience it, yeah. uh, at least know that they're not alone and there's nothing wrong with them. But before yeah. we go down that road, I'm just curious, um, kind of what was your childhood like, like, did you have any um, issues with any kind of anxiety or depression or hardships leading up to that time period in college when you were kind of taking on everything of like the girls that you were working with, or did that kind of come out of nowhere? Yeah. So I'd always been like a silent sufferer, I guess I'm the oldest in my family. And so I was like the caretaker role. And so a lot of the stuff I stuffed down <laughs> and, you know, I was okay. Like my life was really good. I was really blessed. But I suffered in silence a lot because, like I, I said, I was kind of an empath in my childhood. So I would take on a lot of the feelings that my parents had or that my sisters had or my friends had, but I wouldn't say anything about it. And so, to be honest, I probably could have benefited from getting help as a kid, but I never did. Like, I never reached out. I never even told anyone that I had this, like, mental struggle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's why college is so powerful is because, like, it was the first time that I was like, hey, actually, I'm struggling <laughs> you know, what did that struggle look like for you? Did it affect your life in terms of you just felt low energy down or was it kind of, I can't get out of bed or like, cause I yeah. found that I think a lot more of us struggle with some element of depression than we've realized or will admit, because I think we've got all these preconceived notions <laughs> of what depression looks like. And yeah. I just realized it looks different for everybody. So what was yours? Yeah. And I think that is so spot on for me. Like I would just find myself, it sounds so weird, but like I found myself like laying on the floor <laughs> ah. or like, um, just like ran, like not even knowing like all of a sudden I'd be like laying, like not sitting on the couch, just like laying on the floor, really low energy. And, um, that was like, that's how I know. Cause like, I'll find myself doing things that like, don't really make sense. Like, why am I laying on the floor right now? You know, I was just so low energy and I don't know. That was one of the things. And, and still to this day, like I notice it's super random. <laughs> I no, really... but that's why I like it. Cause it, yeah. it is kind of random and it's very specific to you. Mm -hmm. And I, I did an episode. Um, uh, it was my sixth episode. That was really just me kind of sharing my current mental state, which was a little bit down. And one of the things I talk about is kind of recognizing your own individual tells yes. for the fact that like something's off. So that is yeah. a super random one, but I, I kind of right. like, it. right. And like just a lot of, you know, deep thinking in the kind of negative way about like, what am I doing? Um, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? I'm not sure. Like, who am I? You know, a lot of like the questioning, but mostly like the low energy and I'm an introvert, so I don't talk to a ton of people anyway, but definitely like more going inside myself and not talking about what's really happening, even with my loved ones and close friends. And so then was 
how did you do in therapy? Like, what was it uncomfortable to then be in that setting and talk about it? Or did, was it this all of a sudden this like great safe space to finally air all your feelings or what was it like for you? So I wish I could say like, cause I I was going to be a a therapist, right? I wish I could say that it was awesome, but it really wasn't. And it was kind of frustrating because I went to like the college help center, like their psych department, like, you know what I mean? The university provided people and she was like, okay, she got me on antidepressants right away, which I'm not like necessarily mad about that, but I wish we had better therapy as well. What really helped, actually, I kind of got help from that residential treatment center kind of like on the side, not like not like officially, but just people supporting me and like talking about it in a real tangible way and like getting that connection. So the combination of like therapy with a therapist and support from the, my like friends at my job who understood like the depths of my psyche, I guess, and like knew that suffering happened like it didn't have to be like as extreme as the people that were at the residential treatment center but getting that support from like loved ones definitely helped too yeah I think that that's key and I think that's um I think that's maybe part of the reason we aren't always as open with our negative feelings because I think we try and almost diminish them because we don't think they're valid and and we do that by comparing our situation to other seemingly worse situations. Yes. yes. And so it's like, I can't possibly be upset because, you know, <laughs> my life looks yeah. great in all these different ways. But really, and I had this conversation with, with someone recently, like, it's all it's all relative. Your pain is your pain. Like, there's no point in comparing it to somebody else's because right. you only know your perspective. So true. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I think suffering, you know, sometimes we suffer from our own thoughts. And that's kind of how I found coaching. It was like, it was my, it was my experience that was causing my suffering, but it doesn't, I don't have to compare my suffering to other people's suffering. It doesn't mean it's worse or less worse, you know? Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. So you get in, you start therapy and you've got support from um, kind of your, your colleagues. And Mm -hmm. then, then how was that the rest of that process? Did you stay in therapy or what happened next? No, I went to therapy for probably a couple months. Like I said, it wasn't great. Um, she was definitely like, let's get you on antidepressants. That should be, that should solve your problems. And like I said, I think meds, there's definitely a role for meds, but I needed to talk through some stuff. And, mm-hmm. and some of the things, like I will say, some of our sessions were pretty good because for the first time, like I was on the couch, right? Most of my life I had been the person like asking the questions and like providing the support. And it was really like, um, a humbling but also powerful experience for me to be the one that was opening up and needing the help. It kind of mm-hmm. helped me be okay with that, that I can be the helped, not always the helper, if that makes sense. Yeah, that absolutely does. And that's what I think is almost so ironic about these different professions, whether it be like therapists or nurses, the people who are typically drawn to those, I think are maybe those more humanitarian, empathic mm-hmm. individuals. So yeah. it's like you're drawn to help people, yet you also almost can't help but take a lot of it on, which then you do have to be very smart and intentional about like your own, I guess, quote unquote, self-care because yes. you've got your own stuff going on. And then you're also, if, if you're really being empathetic to the people you're working with, you're you're going to pick some of that up. <laughs> yes. And knowing how to process it in a healthy way. Cause like, I think it's a good thing that you're, you're feeling there. You shouldn't just be like apathetic to people, you know, that's not yeah. what I'm saying, but learning how to hold someone's emotions without it becoming your own emotions. I think that was one of the biggest skills I learned for sure. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, so, and this might be like a loaded question, but like, how do you, how did you learn that? Or like, how do you go, how does somebody go about learning that? Such a good question. Um, number one, I'm going to always recommend the book Codependent No More by Melody Beatty. It's an amazing book. And because I am a codependent person, which like in, in her book, she talks a lot about being like married to an alcoholic and that kind of codependency. My codependency is more like the emotional kind. I don't really struggle with it anymore because I've done a lot of work. But the idea is that, you know, you need someone to need you you get something from that instead of empowering people to be okay without you and make, you know, being okay from their own place of 
you know, self-care and mindfulness and things like that. So now I think for me, it's kind of like imagining myself holding their emotions and being sensitive, but not letting their emotions become my own. And something that she talks about in the book, like I highly recommend it. Have you read it by chance? No, I haven't. Okay. But as you kind of give that definition <laughs> of needing to be needed, I'm like yes. thinking and back on different chapters <laughs> of my life. And I'm like, I definitely have a history of codependence. Right. And so you should totally read it. It's amazing. Basically in the book, she talks about that your own feelings are worthy of feeling and that you need to be taking care of your own needs first. And to be a true helper, you need to understand the difference between their needs and your needs. Um, she talks about kind of symptoms of codependency and it's like being reactive, um, feeling like you need to be justified and you're feeling upset and kind of taking on their emotions or like being totally tied. Like if they're unhappy, you're unhappy. If they're happy, you're happy. Those kinds of things. Oh. And yeah, <laughs> and kind of learning how to draw the line. Like, what are my emotions? I think that was one of the biggest things that happened for me is I'm like, what are my emotions versus what are their emotions? Okay, they're unhappy, but does that mean I'm unhappy or does it just mean that I'm sensitive to their unhappiness? There's a difference, you know? Yes. And it's such like, it's a subtle difference, but I <laughs> yeah. think, you know, it's an important difference and almost, I guess, just kind of the awareness of that, or even just stopping for that second question that I would imagine is a, a critical step. Yes. And that self-awareness, I think, was the first step for me. Like, oh, her feelings don't have to be mine. <laughs> I didn't like know that, you know, like I'm, yeah. I grew up in a Christian home where we were taught, you know, to love everyone and to mourn with those who mourn, you know, all those things. But like, that doesn't mean that you take on what they're going through. It means you're there for them. It means you love them. It means you're sensitive to their needs. And even maybe you help them, but that doesn't mean you become you like, you don't suffer their suffering. If that makes sense. Yes. Like there is a line there. There's taking care of yourself so you can help them. And then there's just like totally morphing in and like, there's no boundaries in where you help them or when you don't <laughs> kind of thing. Okay. Wow. This is like, I'm having like several kind of just aha moments. I've, I had, I've heard of the concept of, you know, codependency before, but I don't, I mean, not in years and hadn't really thought about it since, but uh, you know, yeah, I a hundred percent have a history of that. <laughs> Most, I, I'm assuming you have that helper. You want to be of service, you know, personality, just knowing what you do on this podcast <laughs> and, um, yeah, most uh, in my experience, most people have some, whether unknown or unknown, some history with it, you know, and you probably are like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> like mind blown, right? Yeah, like a little bit. Yeah, I, luckily, <laughs> I think I've, I've, I've moved past it and that I am definitely aware of when someone else's mood affects mine and and I'm not always able to stop it, but I am aware of it, which right. I, don't think I ever was before. Yeah. And I don't think the point of recovering from codependency is to like never feel someone's feelings again. It's I, I choose when I go into that place where I'm like crying with my friend, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, it's a different mindset. Like it's not, Oh, you're suffering. So I must suffer too, because I don't see a, a way to not be helpful to you without taking on your emotion. It's more like, Hey, like you need me to be here. I'm going to be here. And then I'm going to go home and live my life, yes. <laughs> you know? Well, I'm wondering though, like, is there, all right. So I, I, a lot of times like imagine things as like a pendulum. And so like on one extreme, there is that very empathic codependent, like you're taking on other people's emotions. Mm -hmm. And then I'm wondering if, if you were like that at, you know, early, maybe difficult times of, of your life. And you're like, oh, this is like super uncomfortable to feel this sadness as a coping mechanism, can somebody then swing the other way? And I guess that's where kind of like build some emotional yes. walls of like, I don't really <laughs> want to feel anything, what you're feeling, what I'm feeling. Yes. It. Yeah, for and I think it's different for everyone. But for me, I would swing into like apathy or anger, um, which is like, if you read the book, you're going to see like, there's definitely patterns like, oh, I'm so enmeshed with you and codependent with you, everything you feel, I feel. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm suffering because of you. And now I'm angry at you. <laughs> and that's kind of like, <laughs> which is like the person that I was codependent with are people, multiple people over my life. Like they probably didn't even know, but like all of a sudden I'd withdraw or I wouldn't be open to talking or I disappear 
because like it became too much and I didn't have any of that boundaries. So I couldn't live in the middle where I'm, I had a healthy relationship. It was like all or nothing, you know, which is, Oh man, you were like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it like was so empowering to read the book. Cause I'm like, Oh, like there's other people like me. And like, it varies in levels and it doesn't have to look the same and it doesn't have to mean you're like married to an alcoholic. It could be like you have a friend that's really needy and you're codependent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe even somebody that isn't needy, like everyone has emotions. So even if you're with somebody <laughs> that like just has kind of their normal healthy span of emotions, but yeah. you're attached to their emotions versus your own. Right. That's still right. a tough situation to be in. Okay, yes. so I'm already kind of starting to draw some lines and how this could maybe impact, you know, once you become a new mom. Yes. Um, so, all right, so let's hop over to that because I know in the in the podcast of yours that I listened to, I think you also mentioned like struggles with being pregnant. And, like, yeah. How you felt during that process. A little bit. Um, it like was the beginning. I you know, it's a huge identity shift when you become a mom. And because I went from being me to being mom and caring for someone 24 seven, which I love, like I, I loved, I always loved being a mom. Like I still do, but I did, I was not prepared for, um, the, like the mental battle that happened between like the cracks of everything, like when my baby was taking a nap and I was alone, like those kinds of moments um, was where I started to see stuff creeping in again. Do you think that was part of that? Like, okay, so you did all this work recognizing, you know, you, you kind of had this history of codependency. And so, you know, draw your, you know, emotional boundaries so that you're, you know, break some of those attachments or whatever. And then you have a baby. And I mean, that, there's almost a level of some form of codependency that's like needed. <laughs> literally. Yeah. I, that's what I was going to say. It's like, literally, like they literally needed me. Right. Um, she literally needed me to feed her and change her. And she literally needed me to keep her alive. And so yeah. that's the difference, right? Like it's not like it is codependency, but it's not like the unhealthy kind. It's like the very maternal life giving kind. <laughs> And yes. so that stuff was fine. Like I didn't mind waking up in the middle of the night. Like that wasn't even hard. I get what, you know, it was like, I was tired, but it wasn't mentally draining on me. Like the, but who am I? Like, what am I doing? Who am I besides mom? Like, okay. <laughs> um, it was a lot of my, of suffering induced by myself, like my own thinking, there was nothing wrong. And I think that was what was so hard. And so many people can probably relate to this. It's like, nothing's wrong. Why am I sad? Nothing's yeah. wrong. Why do I like feel so low energy and confused and foggy, you know? Well, I mean, the fogginess could have to do with the lack of sleep. Um, <laughs> I'm not a mother, but I did. I do go up and I, like my sister um, has had a couple children and I've gone up and helped her for, you know, like week spans at a time and not even being the mom, but not getting a full night's sleep. Like I felt those effects. I'm like, oh man, right. this is no joke. That's true. And like, but that's the thing too, is like, when you're not asking for help, like you just think you're crazy. <laughs> you just think something's wrong. Cause I yeah. was not telling people really how low I felt, you know? Why do you think that is like, why do you think there's this hesitancy to talk to whether it be your husband, your mother, your best friend, your sister, whoever it is, like somebody in your life about feeling those, those low moments and those kind of almost like identity crisis questions. Yeah. You know, that's such a good question because like when you say it out loud, you're like, well, duh, you should be asking for help. But I think when you're in it, your brain like lies to you, you know, like, oh, you're, you're okay. Like you don't, you're like, you'll get through this. Like whatever's going on, it'll pass. You know, you don't need to talk to people or like for me, even my codependency showed up for my husband. Like I didn't want him to feel that burden. Um, I didn't want him to think I was doing bad at home, you know, or feel like he needed to take care of me. Right. Like I'm the mom, I can do it. Like <laughs> this is what I'm supposed to be doing or whatever. Um, silly stuff now, but when you're in the middle of it, I think you're, it's like I said, like, it's just like twisted, like it's a twisted view of your life, I think. 
What was like, how would you rate your sense of identity leading up to having a, a baby? Like, do you think you, cause I'm just wondering like if it's, let's say you, you're, you know, pre-baby, you're just really feeling like, yep, I've got my life together. I'm feeling good. I'm no longer codependent. I've got my identity. <laughs> I'm in a healthy relationship, all this stuff versus if, if it wasn't all quite that together, like how that differs in terms of how you feel afterwards. Right. So it's funny. It's like what you're asking me to talk about is hard because I'm so different than I was now. So it's me looking backwards, trying to get back in that frame of mind. And I think something I wish I knew was that like our identity is something that we choose. We are the identity creators. Um, that's who we are. And so my identity has shifted a lot in my life. And one of the things that I think happens when you go through any major life change, whether it's becoming a parent or not, it could be getting married, it could be moving to a new city. I think you're like, it brings up some questions like, well, who do I want to be? If I, if I am not super happy with who I've been, who do I want to be? And like, is it something that I can choose? Can I really choose who I am? And I didn't believe that back then. I think I thought, you know, I am who I am type of thing. And now I'm like, well, that's not always true. I think we get to decide a lot of things, not everything, but a lot of things. And so when I had my baby, it was kind of like, okay, like this is a new opportunity to be someone new or like step into a new role for me. And I think that's where all the questions came. Like, okay, well, who, do, who, who is that? What's the best version of me? Um, who does this baby need me to be? Who does my husband want me to be? And those are, are all the wrong questions. And that's kind of where my suffering came from, I think. Uh, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Because, yeah, you've taken on this whole new part of your identity of motherhood. So then you're right. It's kind of like, what, <laughs> what kind of mom am I going to be? What yeah. kind of, like, how is this going to change the type of wife I am now that I'm a mom? And then, like, where do you fit into that? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. It's like so conceptual, but it also totally makes sense. Well, and that's the thing is like, it's super real, but a lot of the questions come from, you know, fear or like that, that identity crisis, you know, mode, I guess, like, who am I? But like, I'm still me the whole time. It was still me being the wife and the mom and being myself, but it's like the perception of like, who does he want me to be? Who does she want me to be? You know, what does my baby need me to be kind of questioning those kinds of things? Was that the beginning of kind of the path that brought you to life coaching or how did that all come about? Yeah. And I would say that's actually a really good segue because the question changed. I started asking like who my husband wants me to be or who my baby needs me to be or like who my mother-in-law thinks I should be. Right. Like all those not so good questions. And I started asking like, well, how do I want to show up for my family? What kind of wife do I want to be? What kind of mom do I want to be? What kind of, and like, as I found coaching, like what kind of coach do I want to be as I made the transition? Um, my suffering didn't last forever. Like, I don't think all suffering is lifelong. And so as I kind of came out of my own funk um, and I found life coaching, which was, like I said, like more the question of who do I want to be kind of more future focused, like who am I becoming? How do I get there? Um, I eased a lot of my own suffering just thinking that way instead of focusing on, you know, trying to fulfill the needs of other people, like, what do I need? How do I want to show up in my life? So, yeah, I just had like a little bit of, I guess what Oprah would call like an aha moment of, because kind of what you just said in terms of shifting from focusing on like, who does everyone else want me to be <laughs> to the question, like, who do I want to be? Yeah. Like that was the same kind of the same process or like hurdle I went through several years ago and this was not post baby. So all of a sudden I have kind of a new understanding of, and, and I'm sure there are some like, you know, actual hormonal physical <laughs> That's true too. explanations of postpartum, but there is also this identity aspect of, cause I think we all struggle with that on some level of like, who does the world want me to be the mm -hmm. world, you know, big world society, your immediate world, all of that versus who am I really? And yeah. then, when you and when you bring a new a new person a new baby into the situation that's now like another opinion, a set of <laughs> opinion another yeah. opinion of 
who you should be. And it also maybe shifts the opinions of other people of who you should be now that you are, you know, a mother. So it's like, it just, it's going to trigger kind of that, that same bigger question of like, who do I think I'm supposed to be versus who am I really? Ah, that's so good. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay. All right. So how'd you figure that out? (laughs) (laughs) Um, like a lot of self-reflection, I think I started just asking myself better questions, you know, instead of like, who do they want me to be? Like, well, that was like the first one, like, who do I want to be? And like, also like, just like, like broadening the scope of what I thought about, you know, I didn't just think about like day in, day out baby stuff. It's like, well, who do I want? What kind of mom do I want to be in five years? What do I want to be doing with my life? Not just being a mom in 10 years. You know, I started mm-hmm. thinking like differently um, because I, shifted my perspective a little bit to be more like hopeful and optimistic instead of like, is this all there is in motherhood? I'm so bored. (laughs) Um, Because I went from, you know, working and studying for my master's degree and like being me to, oh, when's the next feeding time? You know, I I consider myself pretty intellectual and not that like motherhood isn't challenging because it totally is, but in a very different way, you know? Yeah. And so I started like doing things that was me, not just mom, Amber, it was Amber, Amber. (laughs) So I started reading books again. Like, and it's kind of weird. Like we kind of talked about how depression hits people individually. Like one of the things that I stopped doing is like doing the things that I love. Like I stopped reading and I stopped watching documentaries or like finding interesting articles. Like I love learning and I stopped learning. And so once I started learning again, then I found life coaching. Um, that's when I started feeling more like myself. And now I know that about myself. So I just make that a part of my daily life, even in my motherhood, I'm still learning. So that was like a big one is doing the things that felt like me again. Yes. I, I love that. And like, God, we are such kindred spirits only like I don't have a baby or, or, or babies. Uh, but it, that was part of my process too, of kind of this, it's like, you just, for you, it was not getting caught up in only baby stuff. And for me, it was just kind of caught up in the, in the hamster wheel, just like the daily, <laughs> the routine of life yeah. that didn't involve babies, but still was just kind of this routine and, yes. and kind of stopping those moments of being like, hold on, like, what do, what are the things that I want to do? Like, are there things that I enjoy doing and are interested in, but aren't in this current like hamster wheel? So like, I think that's such a key part of like kind of getting back in touch with and finding a way to make it part of your routine, like the things that you enjoy doing, like just for you. Totally. Yeah. And I can relate a lot to like the mundaneness of life. Um, I hadn't lived like been in the corporate world or anything like that, but like my life became very mundane every day, taking care of a baby. And like, I was super grateful. And that's the other thing is like so much suffering comes from our own thinking. Like I shouldn't be upset because so many people would die to have a baby. Right. Yep. So many people like are trying so hard to have babies and here I am having a baby. How dare I suffer from it? You right. know, that and back to there's the comparison. again. Yes, exactly. And instead of just owning my own suffering and like, it has nothing to do with people who are going through IVF or anything, you know, this is my life and it's my own suffering. Or like, you know, probably you can relate, like I have a job or like my life is pretty good from the outside. Why am I suffering from yep. the hamster wheel? You know? Yeah. So, okay. So you find life coaching. Do you originally find it as a profession or you found it as you were talking to or seeing a life coach? So I did not see a life coach for a while. I found a podcast, the life coach school podcast. Um, I loved her perspective. I like binge listened. And then I found other podcasts too. Like I, you know, I listened to her podcast. I found, I was listening to like Tony Robbins motivational. Oh, staff. Yeah. And like, yeah. And like, just a different perspective on like why we struggle. Cause like I could relate so much to my suffering being from my own thinking. It was not nothing external. And then what I learned from life coaching is that everything is the way that we interpret our world. Mm-hmm. And I like, I had studied CBT in college and I had studied different theories of, you know, therapy and how to you know, like all sorts of stuff, but nothing was as concrete and tangible as how, like what Brooke Castillo in the life coach school podcast, how she talks about what she calls the model. And like, that's how the world works. Like the way, you know, what we think about creates how we feel. And like, I, that alone has been so powerful for me. And like, um, it really helped me like accelerate my like quote recovery, I guess, from my depression and my codependency for sure. 
What I love about like your um, kind of tie to the life coaching is that you do have that background of like psychology. And I think that, um, you know, life coaching is still pretty new, but it's one of those things that really kind of blew up. So yeah. you see it everywhere. And I, I think from a consumer standpoint, a lot of people's hesitation is like, how are you, know, <laughs> you, not you specifically, but like, you know, how are you trained or at all qualified to kind of coach me right. in my life? And so <laughs> yeah. it's encouraging to hear that, um, that there are like actual models out there. Yes. And I will say like life coaching isn't for everyone. I wouldn't recommend it to everyone. Some people need to see a therapist. Some people need to get on antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds, you know, like I don't think life coaching is the quote, the answer, you know, um, it can be an answer and it is one way to help you understand. I like, I know people that do both. They're in therapy and life coaching because it's just a little bit different, you know? I think it's a little bit less scary for certain, um, people to entertain the idea of talking to a life coach versus like walking into a therapist. <laughs> right. Um, so if anything, it, it kind of has like a little bit like less like kind of barrier to entry from like a consumer standpoint. Totally. And you can do it from the comfort of your home. Like most of the clients I work with, like I do a zoom call, right? Like it's, you can, or sometimes it's just a phone call. They can be crying in their kitchen and I don't know, you know, there's a lot of like kind of separation and people like that too, you know, mm -hmm. it's just different. I would say they're very different. So what is, let's talk a little bit more about kind of life coaching and what it is. I'm just, I'm, I'm genuinely curious, mm -hmm. like what are the different or are there different kind of certifications or qualifications out there or are those still being developed <laughs> since it's still in the yeah. same things kind of a onset? Right. So be, to be totally transparent, life coaching is an unregulated field, which means anyone can call themselves a life coach, right? So mm -hmm. there's, which means the barrier for entry is really low. Anyone can call themselves a life coach. Not everyone is a successful life coach and not everyone should be a life coach. I will, I will say that as well. Um, I have a lot of training. I've been, you know, I went to psychology, you know, I studied psychology. I worked in a residential treatment center and at a, you know, a group home and I was trained as a coach there. And so, um, and you know, there's different qualifications and different certifications you can get. Not all are created equal. Mm -hmm. I know one costs $18,000 and they treat it like more like a college type education. You know, it's like, um, or almost like a um, trade school, you know, it, it's mm -hmm. a, there's a lot of training and teaching and you get a lot of experience coaching other people. And then some certifications you can do it on a weekend and it like costs you a hundred bucks and then six hours long or whatever. And so what I encourage like consumers, like when you, <laughs> when you're considering a life coach, like a certification doesn't always mean what you think it means. So I would just like get on a call with them and really do they, can they help me? You know, that's the question Like, can they really help me? Um, because like you said, it's, it's a new and booming field, but that doesn't mean, necessarily mean it's good or bad. I would say it's life coach specific if I had to answer that question. Yeah. Well, and I think that makes sense because even like actually trained, certified, you know, different levels of therapists, like there's still people out there who have the qualifications that maybe shouldn't be therapists. And I heard a statistic <laughs> yeah. recently that it typically takes somebody like, I think she said like four or five tries essentially until they find a therapist that they really right. connect with because there's so much, um, you know, different elements of compatibility there. So I guess yes. ultimately it comes down to, is this other person, whether they be life coach, therapist, whatever, are they providing you value? Right. Well, and to add to that statistic, when I studied psychology, it might be, I don't know, that, that was many years ago, but um, it takes 11 sessions to know if a therapist is a good fit or not <laughs> on average. Oh, so, wow. And those are usually what, once a week or, or yeah. once a month? Right. Exactly. And so you have to just, I think, you know, part of it is like, can you, can you be honest with yourself? Like, is this working or can it work in the future? You know, I don't think one session is enough, especially for therapy when you're doing some really deep work. Right. You and know. it's going to get uncomfortable. And so even <laughs> yeah. like the best therapist or life coach may be for you, like if it gets to the point where you're, you're digging into some stuff, you 
you know, you've avoided for a reason, like some emotional stuff right. or your, your barriers, your, your issues, whatever it may be, then like, I'm sure it'd be easy to be like, Oh no, like this person's not for me, but really they were just pushing you out of a comfort zone. Right. You're gonna have to get out of if you right. really do the work anyways. <laughs> so true. And, you know, just knowing that I think a lot of people, even though they see a therapist or they want therapy, they're not educated on how therapy works. You know, like I said, 11 sessions, that's a long time. And maybe it's quicker, but um, maybe it's not. And you just need to give it time. And it isn't going to be comfortable, but that's where the good stuff is. So, yeah. So what do you think, like, what should somebody, if somebody is considering getting life coaching, um, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure this day and age, a lot of people have, Oh, I have at least thought about just (laughs) do see it everywhere. Yeah. Like, what do you think are the different, um, I don't know, things they should consider to determine whether or not it's something they're ready for or would benefit from, or if it's something that's maybe just like not really for them? I think that's such a good question. I think life coaches, one thing that I will say that I love is that they're very specialized. Most life coaches have like a niche (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um, you can probably find a life coach that addresses your specific issues. Like I know a life coach that all she does is help people feel more confident in their job. Like that's what she does. You know, I also know a life coach that helps moms stop yelling at their kids, (laughs) you know? Um, so it's very focused. And I will say too, one thing that I love about life coaching is it helps you be more independent, at least a good life coach. They're not going to create a relationship that you need them. The whole point of life coaching is that you don't need them you're going to learn how to make decisions on your own. If you, if you get a good one, assume we're assuming you get a good one. I was going to say, is that the, (laughs) is that the like widespread model that you want your, um, I don't want to say patients, your clients to quote unquote graduate. Yeah. Well, that's my, that's how I, that's how I do it. I don't want my clients to need me. That's not the point. You know, um, I work with coaches now, so it is even a, a different relationship. But when I was mostly just life coaching, like the whole point was so that they relieved their suffering and like learned how to handle the world, you know, and I think therapy, it's the same. Most good therapists would say that's the point too. But sometimes I think what happens is, you know, there's different reasons you go to therapists and different reasons you get a life coach. And sometimes like the deeper, darker, quote, quote, darker, not necessarily, but how the world would view their struggles when they go to a therapist might be more intense. You know, sometimes it's trauma based or, you know, a diagnosis based, like maybe they have some, you know, bipolar or, you know, OCD or whatever, you know, whatever they're seeing a therapist for. And it does need long-term care. And some of those people are in therapy their whole life, you know, and I wouldn't say they're a good candidate for life coaching, you know? Right. Um, But for someone, you know, for me, life coaching was really good because my struggles did come from my thinking. There was no like underlying, you know, problem other than the way I was thinking about my life. And so life coaching was really good for me. It reminds me of um, kind of to your point of, of wanting people to graduate kind of that concept of like, yeah. give someone a fish or you can teach them how to fish. And right. so you don't want to be going to a life coach or therapist that just wants you to show up every time to like get your fish. You want them to teach right. you how to fish. Yes. And I would be, you know, in this day and age, it's so hard to know, but that's why I, most life coaches offer a free session. But I think like if you can trust your gut and like, are they just trying to get me to be their client because they want me to pay them? Or are they trying to meet like, do they want me to be better? Like, do they want me to actually get results and not need them? You have to be okay with that. Like, you know, like a good coach should be like, Hey, like you are so much better. Like go be free, go live your life, like enjoy it. And if you want to keep working with me from like a personal growth standpoint, that's totally different. You know, like if you just want to continue to be better, I'd say that's a good thing for life coaching as well versus like digging out your way out of a hole. Right. So what would, um, and I'm not sure if if you can answer this question, but I guess what are some kind of red flags people should maybe look out for to help kind of distinguish this is somebody who genuinely wants to help me or this is somebody who is going to. Yes. Really. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good question. And like, I wish every person considering a life coach would listen to this, but um, I think a, a, life, a good life coach is going to let it be your decision whether they work with you or not. Um, they shouldn't be like on your case and selling you like they do sell it, right? Like they are entrepreneurs usually and they're selling their services, but if they're on a consult with you and they're really pushing you 
that's probably a red flag. They should be encouraging you to look at your own thoughts and help you make that decision yourself. Because mm-hmm. um, I also think a good life coach is really self-aware. Like, actually, like, that's not really my focus. Like, I help this people. And what you really need is a life coach that's going to help you do this, right? And they would offer you even like a recommendation or a referral. I think that's a sign of a good life coach too. And, you know, and if they can help you, they're going to say like, yeah, this is what I've done in the past. This is what I would do with you. They'd be really specific in how they'd work with you. All right. This is another question. I, I, if you can't answer this, okay. I'm just curious. Like, Mm -hmm. do you know, how does like the psychology world view this whole (laughs) concept of life Yeah. So I, I think that they're pretty wary of it. And I think that's a good thing um, because it's an unregulated field. Like we don't want to cause harm. And I think that's what psychologists are trained in. Like they don't, they're trained not to cause harm and life coaches, you know, some of them have no experience in the, in this world at all. And so, um, but it's tricky because I know some really good life coaches that like don't have any like psychology experience, you know, and they don't right, cause, they actually help, they help a ton to... of people. Right. And so I think some, I think some newer psychologists and therapists are like, no, like life coaches can help you in X, Y, Z. Or, and I know some therapists that do coaching as well. They advertise their therapy services and coaching services. Right. And so I think they see the value in it, but I do think that they're hesitant to just be like, every life coach is good. <laughs> Cause that's right. not true. You know? And I think as life coaches, we have to be really careful what clients we take on because I wouldn't want a client that's, you know, like in danger to themselves or others. I'm not qualified to train for that, you know? Yeah, to know your own limits and when maybe someone's situation is more intense than you're equipped to handle and to encourage that individual to Mm -hmm. to see a a therapist. To be totally honest, I've had clients that have been in therapy um, at the same time and like, we ended our coaching relationship when things were coming up in therapy that they really needed to focus on, you know, cause it's just different. It's a different take. And I think there is therapists are trained way better than life coaches for the most part. Um, you know, you, maybe you go to some tiny school somewhere and don't get the greatest training, but it is a regulated field. So you're at least getting the bare minimum qualifications and, you know, practice most of most therapists engage in a practicum and things like that. So like, if you need help, I would say if you don't, if you don't fully trust a life coach, go see a therapist. Um, but if you feel like you really resonate and you trust a life coach, life coaches can help you too. It's just a different approach, different focus. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, there will in the future be regulation in this field? Like, do you think it'll go that route? I do. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know when, but like there, there's gotta be people talking about it, at least in the psychology world that are like, Hey, like there's some really bad therapy going on basically. <laughs> Cause some therapists are yeah. like, they're basically trying to do therapy and it's not good, you know? And, um, so I try to like in my own practice, I stay away from like therapy type stuff, you know, I'm not doing any inner child work <laughs> or anything like that. And trauma right. is something that I don't think coaches should touch. I just really think that that should be with someone who's trained. Um, but yeah, I think that I would assume that they're going towards at least some sort of regulation. And to be honest, like there is this thing called the ICF, which they're trying to be the ones regulating it. Like you can see some coaches get ICF certified, but that doesn't actually mean anything. It's just a board um, of people that decided to create the ICF and, (laughs) you know, it's at least like starts the conversation. Yes. It starts the conversation and it starts, you know, hopefully helping people, feel like they can trust coaches because the problem is, is like, there's spiritual life coaches. There's, you know, chakra coaches also on top of life coaches, or there's empowerment coaches or mindset coaches. Right. And so it's going to be really hard, I think, to regulate it because they can just call themselves something different, you know, mentor. And that's where I wonder if they'll, if they'll find a way to lump it all together. Cause, um, I I had a job that worked that I was very involved in like corporate wellness programs. And when I was there, like health coaching was a big, right. And so similar concept, like you're not a doctor, you're not necessarily, (laughs) I mean, maybe some of you are, but, and, and it, it too was, and it probably still is this unregulated. Yes. But right. Well, and you can get certified, but like I, we talked about what does that really mean? You know, you don't know. Someone could say, yeah, I'm a certified life coach. But what you don't know is they spent two hours on the internet watching a class and then they got a certificate. 
<laughs> right. You know, right. that doesn't mean they've ever coached someone before. That doesn't mean they have any knowledge of, you know, so I think as the consumer, it's your job to really decide and do your research on who you want to work with, you know? Right. And I guess, and I think also to, to maybe reframe or, or, or make sure you're viewing that relationship in, in a proper format. So not yeah. that they are a therapist or, you know, a psychiatrist or a physician right. or anything like that, but they are a coach. And so another way to look at it is maybe just, you know, a friend who is more insightful and smarter in terms of life than you are. And so somebody you can right. talk to and trust and is going to help point out different ways of thinking or, you know, different ways of, of handling situations. Mm -hmm. But realizing like ultimately the decision-making all still lies on you. So you can't, right. it's not so much that I would imagine in coaching, you're not specifically like telling people what to do. No, definitely like, not. <laughs> yeah. Like helping yeah. them think through stuff. Yeah. And like noticing like, well, when you're thinking that, like, where does that lead you? You know, it's more, a lot of questioning, like, like therapy, like they ask a lot of questions, but it's different. It's more like tangible and like, right now, you know? Um, I don't know. I think that's a really good thing to ponder. I think I'm always for, you know, taking on your own responsibility for your health and for your mentality. And sometimes that means getting help. Sometimes mm -hmm. that means getting on meds. Sometimes that means doing a combination. Um, sometimes that's removing yourself from an unhealthy relationship. You know, there's lots of different ways to get better. I think life coaching is one way and it doesn't mean it's the best way. It might mean it's the best way. I don't know. I, you know, try it out. <laughs> what advice would you give somebody who feels like they need something? They're not sure if it's life coaching. They're not sure if it's therapy. They just, they're feeling like they've got stuff going on. They need to talk to somebody like what is a first step for them to take to kind of figure out what route they should go? I would say the first step I would say is tell someone you love that you're struggling. If, if you haven't, you know, um, I think going to a safe place in someone who's like observing you and loving you <laughs> is like a really big step. If you haven't done that, like, Hey, like, can we talk? Like I'm struggling, you know, that can be so empowering in and of itself. And then I would say, do some research on who you feel like can help you best. Like, especially if you've never talked to someone, like maybe a therapist is a good start. Maybe a life coach is a good start. Maybe it's just like going to a meditation or a yoga class. I don't know. Um, you know, I think the best thing I can say is you should feel empowered to make your own decisions, but like getting help is probably the best thing you could do for yourself. However that looks. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I think most people offer like a consult, like therapists offer a consult and so do life coaches. You know, if, if it's between those two choices, if you're, you know, if you're considering, jump on a call and see, you know, I think it's really brave when people, you know, say like, Hey, like I'm considering working with someone like, can we chat? Like, that's really brave. And if you can do it, I think that will just help you feel like you can trust yourself to make the decision on what the next steps are. Um, there's nothing wrong with asking yeah. questions. Yeah. I like that. I mean, if you just, yeah, you, you take that free consult call, yeah. whatever, and then just see how you feel and like be honest with yourself about how you feel. So if you're thinking yeah. this isn't for me, is that because it made you a little uncomfortable because you know, <laughs> you're going to tackle some of your stuff or is it because it really just isn't for you? Right. And you know, I, no one can know the answer except for you. It's like spend time with it. Like be honest with yourself, like you said, and just spend time thinking like what's coming up for me. Hopefully you're self-aware enough to recognize like, was that uncomfortable because that's not a good fit or was that uncomfortable because that's exactly the kind of work I need to do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I think it's like, I really think mental health in general, it requires a lot of courage because it's so uncomfortable in the beginning. Number one, to admit that you need help if you've never admitted that before and to like tell people what's been on like the innermost parts of your mind, like that can feel really vulnerable, mm -hmm. but that's exactly what's going to provide the healing and transformation that you need. So any little piece of that, like, and I think it starts small, like the first call, like might feel really scary to be like, Hey, like, can we schedule something or whatever? <laughs> or like, if you've been there in therapy for years and it's just time to switch it up like that, that can happen too. And maybe it's with a therapist, maybe, maybe it's with a life coach. I don't know, but like, maybe it's just time to switch up your routine or see someone new, you know? 
can, Mm -hmm. it can be scary to do that too. Like, but this therapist has known me for 10 years, (laughs) you know, um, it can be scary to change, but if you're feeling it, like that's not from, that's not for nothing. I think learning to trust your thoughts is a huge skill that you can learn by taking action and like practicing trust, you know? Right. And, and, and I would go even further, like being aware of your thoughts and recognizing like which ones you can trust, like what is coming from your gut, your heart, whatever, versus what is like your mind kind of playing these unnecessary games. Yes. And like, and sometimes to be totally honest, like you can't know that yourself. Sometimes you need someone to tell you like, well, did you, did you notice that that's just your thinking? Like, that's not true. That's just a thought, you know? Um, and that's why I think it's so valuable to have a therapist or a coach or even like a close friend. Like, I don't think you always need to get like hired help. Sometimes it's like, Hey, like when's the last time you called your mom? When's the last time you called your best friend? (laughs) You know, I think when we're struggling, we shut down a lot of that side of us and that can be the beginning of a change is just like talking to someone you love, you know? I I agree totally. And that, and that even circles back to kind of your first point of like, tell somebody. And, um, I did an, an, a recent episode with a therapist and she talked about how, um, we were talking about some like deep stuff like EMDR, but she talked about our minds similar to our bodies, like are set up to heal themselves. Like we have a cut and like it heals itself. And so, so too with our, our, our minds and our psyche. And like when we have those kind of issues, those wounds, it sometimes it just takes noticing them and being aware of them and almost like exposing them so that they can then heal themselves. So I just think that that recognition and that vulnerability can sometimes be just like, or is a huge step. And sometimes that's maybe the only step you need to like kind of just start the whole process. Seriously. And I think that's, you know, I don't think therapy is always a good fit for people. Uh, You know, I think everyone can benefit, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's time or that you're ready for it. (laughs) You know, Um, I think timing can be perfect if you just keep taking steps towards like your best self. And sometimes that's getting help. Sometimes it's talking to your mom, like we talked about. I don't know. Yeah, I love it. So what is your next step towards your best self? Um, right now there's so many things. Cause like I said, like I love learning and growth and like now I'm kind of obsessed with it. So I'm always like learning something new. Um, probably the biggest thing right now is I'm learning how to be present. Uh, you know, as I've taken on these different roles in my life with my business and my kids, you know, my youngest or my, not my youngest, my oldest just started preschool and like, you know, kind of different phase of life and it's being present wherever I am like with this call for it with you, you know, I've been really focusing on just feeling this moment. And I think it's a gift that we give ourselves when can be present. So I'm trying to be present in my motherhood when I'm with my kids or in my business, when I'm coaching clients or, you know, whatever, just being really here to my experience. That, Oh gosh, that's something I think so many of us can work on as, you know, just the way the world is now with our smartphones and just act. <laughs> constant alerts and and messages and information and emails. And we're just all so kind of ADD all over the place that to be able to just do one thing, right? Like that's something we all need to work on. And like experience it with your body too. Like, I think that's what I'm working on is like feeling this moment, you know, like I think when you're really present, like it feels different, you're energized, you're here. And like you said, with the smartphones and with internet, like so many times we are all over the place except for here, you know? And I don't know. I think it's like the cure all for a lot of things is like, are you gratitude? Like, do you feel gratitude for your life as it is right now? I think that's one of the best gifts you can give yourself and your family is that, you know? Yes. Oh, I love that. Perfect. Um, okay. Well tell everybody, um, where they can find you, where they can follow you, where they can contact you if they're, um, interested and have questions about life coaching, just all the things. Yeah. So, um, you can find me on Instagram at it's Amber Smith. That's where I'm mostly hanging out these days. And you can find me on my inner or on the internet on my website at it's ambersmith.com. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate, um, your honesty about like your own story, but then even kind of the, you know, pros and cons of, of coaching. Um, so I just, I, I just thank you very much for, for chatting with us today. Oh yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. 
All right, that's it for this week. Um, remember that you can follow the podcast on Instagram at the Better You Podcast. You can reach me with feedback or topic suggestions or book or podcast recommendations at the Better You Podcast at gmail.com. I would love it if you would check out my book. It is titled I Gave Up Men for Lent The Story of a Jaded, Hopelessly Romantic, Health Conscious Party Girl Search for Meaning. It is on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. And I promise that it is not a book all about relationships. It's not just a book for single people or for women. And it's certainly having nothing to do with any one religion. It is really just very much a a very honest look at the internal struggles we all go through to really identify and then actually live the life that feels right for us versus kind of all the expectations we feel from society. So we do have the holidays coming up. It would make an excellent Christmas present for somebody you know who is maybe in one of those stages of life where they're kind of like, ah, like what direction am I going in? Or maybe not feeling totally fulfilled or feeling a little bit lost or really it's just, it's it's a fun read for anyone. So I hope that you will check that out. You can learn all about it and all about me at my website at caseymain.com. Thank you again for listening and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you.